and held my arms up and just felt like I was flying. Just, I felt tiny, but I felt uplifted. It was an amazing scene. Welcome to Experiences You Should Have, your how-to guide for amazing experiences. I'm Gail Manasco, your host, and uh, we are continuing the discussion with Lynn Smith. She was on the podcast last episode talking about Monument Valley, and she went on a 10-day road trip across uh, Arizona, the Grand Canyon, and Lynn she knows how to plan. Like, I, I really like her, her travel style. Sure, I feel like there's a time and a place for the trip where you just have zero plans. But I like to know where I'm going, what I'm doing, and maximize every single day. And if you're like that, then I I hope you will like this episode. Um, so today's episode is about going to Arches National Park. But... There's these amazing hidden gems in between uh, Monument Valley and arches and and uh, little side things you must do, and and that is like the quintessential part of traveling. Yes, we know you're gonna hit the the main arches, but it's what you don't know um, is what you're going to find out here on today's podcast with Lynn Smith. And she did write up a, a full blog post uh, on her blog at lynnsmithdestinations.com. And also we have beautifully written show notes on experiences that you should have.com. Click on episodes and then you can view the episode details there. Uh, well, let's get going with this interview. Well, welcome back to the show, Lynn. Uh, we we left off on the last episode of your amazing adventure to Monument Valley. Uh, but we are still road tripping here. Uh, the adventure is not done. So first off, welcome back, Lynn. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Gail. Yeah, this is great. Uh, so this is part two for you listeners out there. Um, I highly suggest if you didn't listen to the Monument Valley episode to go back and listen to that. Uh, so you left Monument Valley and where did you head to next? Well, this was uh, the next leg of our trip took us to several, um, a couple of the national parks, the Mighty Five National Parks in Utah, and mm -hmm. those served as our key destinations. And what I'm going to do is touch upon what I found to be the simply mind-blowing drives between some of these national parks, because um, there are some hidden gems along the way. That means you need to get out into the back country or certainly off the interstates. And most people tend to travel travel on the interstates. So I'll be sharing some insights about getting from um, Monument Valley to Arches National Park and beyond. And so we'll be just be describing a portion of a loop that's roughly going from Monument Valley at the corner of Utah and Arizona in the southeast corner. And we'll be mm -hmm. traveling north and slightly to the east up to the town of Moab, which is the gateway to Arches National Park. And then we'll start coming back to the west and working our way southwest, and we'll be stopping at Dead Horse Point State Park and Capitol Reef National Park. So I'll start out by addressing an interesting drive that if you get off the interstates when you're leaving Monument Valley, and you may be going as we chose to go to Moab so that we could spend a couple of days at Arches National Park. So our drive was approximately two and a half hours, maybe, from where we were in Monument Valley up to Moab. And instead of taking the interstate, I wanted to route us over to a roadway that has a name, a strange name. It's called Moki Dugway, and that's spelled M-O-K-I, Moki. Dugway, D-U-G-W-A-Y. 
And that is really a great example of a hidden gem drive. It's actually a section of the National Scenic Byway that's called the Trail of the Ancients. And that National Scenic Byway runs basically through Colorado and Utah. So this section that we jumped on, Moki Dugway, got a strange name because Moki is a local term that uh, the for the ancient Pueblo people who inhabited this Colorado plateau like hundreds of years ago. And Dugway is a term that's used to describe a roadway that's like carved from a hillside, just kind of mm. carved out. And boy, when we approached this from the high desert, we could sure tell that this thing is sure dug in. All three miles of woohoo! <laughs> just <laughs> It is one steep graded gravel road that winds uphill to Cedar Mesa, to the top of this mesa. And it's like a 1,200 foot climb in a series of literally dizzying switchbacks. So the warning here is if someone has a fear of heights or gets vertigo, you might not want to take this gravel road up this awesome side of this mesa. Mm -hmm. So those with a fear of heights or a slight case of vertigo may not want to go up the Moki Dugway because it is one steep road. But it's so worth it because we left in the morning from Monument Valley. And as we came across the desert, we approached this road um, and, and I started to go up it. You could look up and see the side of this mesa and go, wow, we're going to go up that because you could just see these switchbacks going left, right, left, right, left, right, zigzagging up this <laughs> deep 1200 foot road. But we said, no, we're going to do this. This is great. The light's great. Photos are going to be great. So as we started up this, and, and I was driving slow, it's a gravel road, and there wasn't any traffic early in the morning, like, I don't know, about 8.30 in the morning or 9. But I was driving so I could look off my left shoulder and at, at every turn in this switchback road, I could look over and I could see these eye-popping views of the Valley of the Gods below and the desert. And the desert just kept reading, receding further and further and further away, the higher we got. And in the dim distance, you could see the buttes of Monument Valley. They were like decorating the horizon, and that's where we had just come from. It wasn't that far away, but it was so clearly etched out in that early morning light. And that light was just hitting the side of Moki Dugway and lighting up those desert plants and the sandstone colors and the gravel color of the road and the blue sky overhead and we were just like whoa wow and of course then the road is really narrow and i was like oh wait (laughs) no railings i gotta pay attention here (laughs) oh let's stop and take a picture quick so i learned going up that road that you can get up to the top pretty quickly so you really want to pull off those little pullouts when you have them to get those amazing jaw-dropping shots looking back down that switchback road and onto the desert floor. Hmm. So you, um, once we got up to the top, there's a lookout, and it's called Muley Point, M-U-L-E-Y. And you're at about you know 6,000 feet of elevation above the desert floor. So from that point, you can go step out of your car and go walk out to the point, and oh my gosh, the it's like going on forever views of the Valley of the Gods and Monument Valley. And out in the distance, you can see the Sleeping Ute in Colorado, which is a rock a mesa formation and Shiprock in New Mexico. And I had read that this has, you can see over a hundred miles on a line on a clear day. And I believed it from that morning that we were looking out across that desert. It was just mind blowing. Beautiful. It was windy up there and a little bit chilly, but oh my gosh, talk about photo op. So it's definitely worth a stop at Muley Point on Moki Dugway. And um, the whole the whole road, actually, this Hidden Gem Drive runs about 35 miles north from the junction of uh, U.S. Route 163 near the town of Mexican Hat, Utah, which is named after a rock formation that, yes, looks like a sombrero perched on a big, <laughs> tall spire. Uh, and this road runs up to the junction with State Road 95, which is just east of Natural Bridges National Monument. And I give that level of detail for those who might want to check it out on Google Maps. But just look up Moki Dugway, Google it, and you'll see what I mean. The images, the drive, it's so well worth it. And um, it comes off the interstate route, which most people take, but it won't add that much time to your overall drive. It might add 30 minutes from your drive, for our drive, from Monument Valley up to Moab. So it was well worth taking that side road, going up to Moki Dugway, and um, turning around and coming on into Moab. 
So mm-hmm. that is a nice little hidden gem and well worth the trip. I love it. What a great tip. Um, just a road that people maybe wouldn't have gone on, but it's not going to add much time and it's going to give you those amazing, stunning views. It's fantastic. It certainly will. I was just, I was so glad that we took that little side trip, like many of the side trips that we took. So here we were, we're like, okay, so I guess we're getting into Moab in the mid-afternoon, which is a good time to check into wherever you're staying. And our plan had to stay in a couple of nights so that we could come into Arches National Park a couple of times. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our first evening, we wanted to catch a sunset and uh, hike a trail up to Delicate Arch, which is one of the more famous uh, rock formations that are in Arches National Park. Mm -hmm. And Arches National Park is located just outside the town of Moab which again is the gateway to arches and also uh, other parks in the area. And um, there's just a million things to do in Moab. If you were there for a week, you wouldn't run out of things to do. Mm -hmm. So you can hike, you can river raft from Moab, you can do four by four, you can mountain bike, whatever you want to do. But our focus was going to be on really seeing arches because these remarkable redstone formations and cliffs and mesas and rock formations and the drive, the scenic views that you get going out to forever were just really on our list of things to do. So uh, I thought, well, Arches is really a busy park. It's not like in the top 10 of our national parks in terms of traffic. Um, Those tend to run anywhere from 11 million visitors a year down to about 4 million visitors a year in the Mm -hmm. top 10. Uh, but Arches gets its fair share. It gets about one and a half million visitors per year. And, you know, the buses start moving in at about 830 and nine o'clock in the morning. They're there at the gate and at the visitor center. So during high season, which in the high deserts tends to be from March to October, it's mm-hmm. really the best light, the best temperatures for being outdoors, for hiking, for night photography and so forth. But it's also tends to be quite busy. So um, I knew we were going to run into things like full parking lots and potentially long lines to get in to the park at the gates or at the visitor center to pay your fee from like, you know, nine o'clock to two o'clock during the day when the buses are running. So, hey, it's easy to beat that. You're staying right there in Moab. It's just a few miles outside of town. You can get into the park early. It's open 24 hours a day. And uh, there's a fee station that you can pay at the entrance station, a self-pay station where you mm-hmm. can pay your rate, uh, which is, I think I'll look it up here in a little bit. I think it's $30 per car now per vehicle, and that's good for seven days. So mm-hmm. my tip here is you can go online ahead of time, and you can get your pass to Arches if you're just going to, if you plan to be there for a couple, three, up to seven days. And that way you'll have a pass with you. You don't have to hang it on your car or anything, just have it with you. I don't think you have to hang it on your car because I didn't do it that way. I paid for a pass ahead of time, and I'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, get in there early. And by early, I mean, get up, have breakfast in your room or whatever, and get to the park by eight o'clock. That's what we did. Okay. And that was so smart because we got right in and we already had a map of the park and we knew what we wanted to do on our first full day there. And that was to go hike the Devil's Garden Trail. Ooh. And there are numerous hikes that you can take in the park, but if you were to pull up a map of the park, you'd see it's kind of this long, skinny road that goes from the lower end of the park to the upper end of the park. And all along this road, this paved road, are wonderful, just awesome places you can pull off with your car, parking areas. You can see the different uh, rock formations along the way, and I'll talk about those shortly. But I'll get, just jump right in here to the Devil's Garden Trail and why I chose that as a hike destination for us. Well, number one, it's really popular because it's just gorgeous. And the parking lot there gets really full by like 8.30, 8.45 in the morning. And here's uh-huh. the thing, in the national parks, if you don't have a spot, there's gonna be a ranger out there shooing you along, move along. So you just go around this loop and if somebody's not pulling out, you're stuck. <laughs> you you okay. can't park along the roads, you have to move on. So get there early in the morning, bring lots of water, bring head covers, sunscreen. And again, we were there in the late, in the last week of September. So the weather uh-huh. was just perfect. Blue skies, mm-hmm. fluffy clouds, nice breeze in the morning before the heat came on. Lovely. So we. Um, we jumped out of the car and we got to this hiker's hike, as it were. It's probably, it's considered to be the only hiker's hike in the park. 
but even casual walkers can get in there and just hike as far along as you want to to see a couple of the arches. And by walking the early section of the this uh, is a total nine miles of trail. And it's very well kept. It's loose gravel, so you kind of want to watch it if your ankles are a little, you know, weak mm-hmm. or injured no. like mine was. But what if uh, you're in a wheelchair? Could it could it go over the the gravel or no, were there steps? No, not that. That won't work because it's just so big gravel, big gravel hunks and chunks, okay. and you can't roll it. But they do have a wonderful. Uh, at Devil's Garden, there is a section there where you first get out of the parking lot, and there is a wee- wheelchair accessible um, paved section that okay. gives wonderful views that you can look down the trail and look out to the distance and see the mountains in the distance and rock formations nearby, and there are restrooms there. So I would definitely recommend that as a stop for somebody okay. who may not be you know, prepared to go take a walk down the, the trail to Devil's Garden or along that okay. Devil's Garden Trail. And, um, you, you know, people can look up on the web. I won't, won't go into detail about the hike, but there are a couple of tips that I have about the Devil's Garden hike. Number one, it's worth doing. It's worth just going out and walking that that path to just see the views that you get and the rock formations that you see all along. Um, there's a trail to Landscape Arch and Pine Tree Arch and Tunnel Arch, which are pretty close to the start of the trail. And they're well-maintained and, quote, family-friendly. So you, you'll see quite a bit of bus traffic, you know, the, the people visiting from the buses. And they just have tennis shoes or sandals or whatever on. And they can negotiate that portion of the trail rather easily. And uh, they can see that uh, those rock formations, those arches, which are just fantastic, and photograph them against that beautiful blue sky. And beyond uh, the, uh, the landscape arch and the pine tree arch and the tunnel arch, you'll see signs that warn of a primitive trail, kind of goes off to the side of the main trail that you're on. And what they mean by primitive, they mean primitive. You really need to be have your hiking gear and your hiking headset on because this would mean hiking over sections of slick rock. And the trail is marked uh, with rock cairns, so people aren't used to navigating across slick rock um, and using trail cairns to sort of pick up their ne- next point, um, mm-hmm. they might want to avoid the primitive trail. And along that primitive trail, for those who are a little more adventurous, there are some really dizzying precipices and some awesome 360-degree vertigo-enticing views. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's mind-blowing. But um, another tip that I have is if you get out on that devil's garden trail you might want to hike the loop in a clockwise direction because it is a loop trail and you can see by the map that's posted in the parking lot as you come onto the trail or certainly you need to stop in the visitor center and get your um, your park map and it'll talk in some detail about these trails but if you go in a clockwise direction i think you're going to experience a some of the best views and b fewer crowds Mm-hmm. And you'll start with Landscape Arch. Uh, that'll be this big, long stretch. I think it's 160 uh, feet or something like that arch. It's the longest arch in the park, and it's the fifth longest arch in the world. It's just spectacular, and it's so well lit in the morning for a, for a photograph. It's so easy to get to that and, and to see that wonder. And uh, it's about, mm, it, I would call it an easy one and a half miles to the arch in so then you'd have one and a half miles out. So that would be a total of three miles on this loose but well-maintained gravel trail. So you want to allow time for that and understand that you'll be <clears throat> walking along about three miles. And frankly, most visitors to the Devil's Garden Trail tend to turn around when they get to the landscape arch. But if you carry on, you're going to be rewarded with some real jaw-dropping 360-degree views. And and they just go on in every direction. I, I stood there and just kind of did a 360 pan with my uh, video camera. And it's just ah, the blue skies with the white clouds overhead contrasting mm. so wonderfully with the red rock and the red desert floor and the mountains off in the distance and the sun, you know, getting well above the horizon about that point. So I would say this is definitely one of the, I consider that this national park is the most easily accessible place for almost anybody who wants to soak in all that natural beauty. Perfect. Definitely. Devil's Garden Trail, one of the great stops. And go early in the morning, get up to the top of the park, and then work your way back down the drive. 
So as you come down that drive, there is a place, there's Delicate Arch. So Delicate Arch is known for its sunset opportunities. If you're willing to take the hike up, it's about a 500 foot elevation climb across, hmm, it took us about an hour and 15 minutes to hike up and probably 45 minutes to hike down across Slick Rock. This is not a gentle, family-friendly hike. (laughs) It wasn't for me, but I made it with an injured ankle, but I was fully outfitted. And we approached Delicate Arch, and we got parked at the Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, Wolf Ranch Parking Area. We knew it would be popular. Lots of people were going to be on that hike to get up to Delicate Arch to catch some just I, I'm running out of adjectives now. How do you describe something that you can't? It's majestic. Uh, it's it's orange. <laughs> it's, you're up high. Uh, the air is clear. The wind is blowing. There are people all around you. There are narrow spots on that trail. There are pebbles that are slipping along under your feet on slick rock that you have to watch every step and pay attention once you get up on the slick rock. There are some narrow spots that you just really don't want to fall off of. Um, um, but I, I, I saw moms toting kids, you know, babies, parents mm-hmm. toting babies. I saw parents with young children. They had them well in, in hand. Uh, but this isn't the kind of place that you just let kids go bouncing because they'll go mm-hmm. bouncing off somewhere. But anyway, what a hike that was. It was, if you got there early, like we did about 430 at the Wolf Ranch parking area, uh, it was the closest parking and right there at the trailhead and there are restrooms and I think there's a water fill station as well. So we packed in our water and we had our headgear and our sunglasses and our hiking poles and our cameras and a small tripod and we were ready to rock. So literally up the rock, <laughs> up the rock we rocked. Um, it was hot even in September in the late afternoon. The heat radiating off those rocks could really be pretty brutal. We didn't Mm -hmm. need layers or jackets or anything. We just really had to tolerate that late afternoon sun kind of coming over onto our backs as we made our way up to Delicate Arch. And once we got, finally, you keep thinking as you crop another slick rock ridge, you're like, okay, we're almost there. Oh, no, you see people way up ahead of you. Oh, we got to go all the way up there. Okay. (laughs) And you go all the way up there. You're like, okay, we must be near. And then, no, you turn a corner. Oh, wait, there's another people way up there. Now we got to go way up there. For a while, I didn't think I was, oh, no, man, you know, and the sun's starting to go down and I want to get magic hours. So we, but we made it in plenty of time. And uh, there may have been uh, maybe a couple hundred people up there when we got up there. It was pretty much swarming with people because it was an absolute Chamber of Commerce, perfect, you know, photo day for this sunset series of shots as the sun gets lower and lower on the horizon and lights up this the delicate arch is called that way because it looks like it's got a shattered spot in these uh, cowboy chaps just picture the cowboy from the waist down wearing chaps and standing very wide a mm. wide foot stance and this thing is just sitting up on top of this rounded slick rock kind of dome area back in the back country you're surrounded by mountains and there are canyons down below you and you can just barely see the parking area where oh my gosh we came from there and we got to go back <laughs> there before it gets dark i'm not gonna think about that right now <laughs> yeah so yeah there are a lot of people and on some of the best angles as it were without climbing all the way down and take a picture under the arch but if you to get the very wonderful angles to get the mountains in the background the sun just lights up this orange pumpkin orange almost uh-huh. and the colored sandstone the popular angles were pretty mobbed but you could sit down on the flat rock and kind of find yourself a little space and compose a shot or take shots of other people if there were couples or, or a family or something people were taking shots with for each other you can get those shots in without having too many people crowding into your shot. You will see some people down below you at the base of the arch, but to me, that lent scale. So it's a great place to roll video and take your photographs and just, wow, just be up there and go, A, I made it. B, I can't believe I'm sitting in something, some fantastic beauty that looks like this and I'm a part of it. Mm-hmm. And the wind blowing on your hair and just, oh, breathtaking and then you're watching how quickly that sun is setting so whoops okay that's 
That's the end of our photography. We have to get all the way back down there before it gets just dark, dark. Even though we had our flashlights, we were prepared, but okay, this, good. This is not a trail you want to be on when the light uh -huh. is dim, much less after okay. dark. It can be treacherous. So my recommendation is get to the parking lot by 430. Allow yourself a little over an hour to more or less somewhat leisurely and get up to um, Delicate Arch. Give yourself a good 45 minutes or so for your photography as the sun is getting lower. Don't wait for sunset to leave. Anticipate the sun. Watch the speed at which the sun is setting and allow yourself a good 50 minutes to get down and back to your car in the parking lot before it gets just dead dark. And it will get mm. dark quickly because that sun drops right behind the ridges. Mm -hmm. So that's Delicate Arch. And what, what a fantastic place to see and to experience at sunset and Arches National Park. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I mean, that's the quintessential view of Arches National Park that you see in so many of the photos. And I mean, what a fabulous description you just gave of it. Well, I, I would hope that people who are able will be able to take that hike. And of course, if you're not willing to go through that sort of effort, there is a delicate Arches viewpoint. So again, if one just can, uh, looks at the map of the park you can see where you can drive to the viewpoint and you can look up and you can see that delicate arch formation uh, against the skyline you can get a great view of it you're a couple of miles away from it but hey you know it's obvious that it's there mm -hmm. um, and uh, along the scenic drive in arches national park there are a couple of other do not miss stops that i would recommend uh, it's a 36 mile round trip so it's kind of up and back you can drive yeah. along this wonderfully paved road with parking areas and signage telling you. And if you're following your map, you can stop here. You can stop there. I think we stopped everywhere we could possibly stop because yeah. we were there for a couple of days or a day and a half. But I would definitely recommend um, Panorama Point because it does offer a wonderful panorama of uh, the entire area. You're looking out to the LaSalle uh, mountains mm -hmm. off in the distance. You're, there are rock formations in the mid-ground, in the foreground, in the background. You're up on top of this sort of a flat mesa-like area. It's easy to walk up there and get this 360 view of the park and out to the far horizons and look at the different desert colors as they unfold and the canyons and the walls and the rock formations. It's just, it was a windswept magical moment. For me i really loved panorama point and um, there's also a section called the windows section of the park this really gets mobbed we went and circled around i think five times before we finally got an open parking spot but it's worth it because from that small parking area you can access several different arches you can access double arches and uh, a couple of other just amazing formations where you can walk from one to the other so these aren't lengthy walks they're kind of uphill and downhill but you've got nice gravel paths to walk on mm -hmm. and uh, for those who may be in a wheelchair or who you know may have injured their ankle like some people we saw and on crutches uh, you can make your way to one of the closer windows uh, formations I think rather easily with assistance from somebody because there are short paved sections of the trail before it turns into that loose gravel. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend definitely double arch that's there at the windows. If you don't do any other, if you don't take a walk out, please take a walk out to double arch and the, you won't really see the double arch. It's literally like, um, how do I describe this? Well, I guess one arch and then it's kind of crossing the other arch and they make these two great big sky holes where you can look up from the from way down below them maybe several hundred feet away and look up and see the sky through these wonderful sandstone orangey yellowy arches they're just mm. they're huge it's like being in a giant open cathedral and you can see little bitty people down there at the bottom in the shade of the arch people who want to walk on further and get underneath the arch for photos so uh -huh. double arch is spectacular but it will not reveal itself in all of its wonder until you get pretty close to it. You really won't see the double arch until you've walked, I don't know, a good 15 minutes or so. Uh huh. And then finally, there's Park Avenue, which <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. Okay. Uh, right. So it's just, uh, 
these really thin, like fins. They're like thin slices of a layer cake. If you were to take a knife and just have this jagged layer cake in front of you, this big uh -huh. tall layer cake, and you're just slicing down and then slicing a thin slice straight down through it and slicing another one, and then pull the slices apart and line them up alongside each other. And you can see all the layers of the rock and how thin these slices are. And all around you are massive monolithic mesas and rock formations and the colors in the morning and the colors of the desert all around you, the far horizons and these huge, huge walls that are going up 800 feet or more above your head. And no wonder mm. they called it, it was named Park Avenue because I guess some European something I'd have to do my history on this one and look it up. But if people want to look it up, why do they call it Park Avenue? It's reminiscent of those tall built buildings along Park Avenue in New York. Ah. They're just towering, towering. Best way I can describe them. Makes so, me think again, of Monopoly. Um, yeah. Park Avenue. Definitely mm -hmm. worth a stop. Um, <clears throat> so as the day goes by, Arches does get rather busy. There's more traffic. So another tip that I have for people, come in early and then in the heat of the day and when the parking lots are full and the buses are in and you've already done a couple of walks or you've done a hike in the morning and you're just tired and you're hungry, well, go back into Moab and rest for a bit, rest up, even do a load of laundry like we did, mm -hmm. and then come back out to the park in the afternoon. You know, three o'clock, four o'clock, that's when the light is starting to really warm things up nicely for photography. And you can just drive that drive again, that 36 mile drive, go back to a place that you perhaps saw earlier that you couldn't get into and take your photographs, take a little picnic, uh, stay out there and wait for the evening to come on and get that transition period around uh, whatever you want to do. You can do balanced rock or double arch or whatever. Just walk out there and get ready to take your photos. And if you're really adventurous, hang out until the stars come out. Can you mm. just imagine a star field shot, which I didn't get because we were tired and we had to move on the next day. <laughs> I'm, I regret this. <laughs> But mm -hmm. you, you can see on Google Images uh, shots that have been taken of many of these rock formations in these different locations with that Milky Way just hanging up above and gabillion stars overhead. And it just is, it's just numbing. It's numbing and mind opening and expansive. You know, mm -hmm. it's like being on a high. You can just cast yourself up into the sky into these stars that are out there in the in the great American West. What a wonderful opportunity for photography. How incredible and stunning. I mean, so much of our lives, we don't get to see this natural beauty. And you can just come here and just see arch after arch and uh, just see stunning colors. And it's, I mean, wow. It's all I can truly say is this just really feels like an experience you should have. Again, I consider it a really accessible park in that you can drive around and you can see so much from an automobile or from whatever vehicle you happen to be in. Mm -hmm. Unlike many of those vast distances and unlike some other places in the west where we visited on our 1600 mile trip <laughs> quite often you have to hike your way in or back into the back country or drive down some dusty pothole slick rock gravel barely graded road or whatever some there are some things that are more easy to get to than others and i think that's the magic and the beauty of arches there are other places where you can see magnificent geologic wonders from your automobile but i think the best the most comprehensive collection of those that i've seen in my lifetime is at arches now i haven't seen everywhere there is to see so i'd love to hear from other people but i do recommend it for anybody who's going to go out the moab area definitely take more than a day at yeah. least spend a night and catch more than one sunset or at least one sunset and one sunrise and make your trip worthwhile i love it so Something else I noticed, just a quick tip for people who are either road bikers or mountain bikers. We saw a lot of people out there on road bikes, uh, mm -hmm. not so much mountain biking, because I think the mountain biking fraternity is well aware of the fame <laughs> of Moab mm -hmm. and, and arches and uh, other surrounding you know, areas, Canyonlands National Park. 
for opportunities for mountain biking. Mm-hmm. But for road bikes, it's amazing because uh, if you have a road bike and you just put it on the back of your car and you, you can start up at the Park Visitor Center. Now, you know, there's a $10 fee for your vehicle because you're going to be parking in a vehicle parking spot. But, hey, it would be easy to do. Pull your bikes off and ride along the um, the route that is entirely on the National Park Service roads. And that's a smooth blacktop route that we saw. And uh, you, you can get an elevation range from like 4,000 feet at the visitor center. And you can go up 1,000 feet if you want to, if you want to head toward Devil's Garden. Again, maps galore. You can, fall, you can ride on the roads throughout the park. Or you can ride along the uh, National Park Service roads, which I would prefer, I think. No traffic. Mm-hmm. And um, little do people know that if you're out there on your bike, you might actually be passing through some areas where... The opening scenes from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade were shot <laughs> right there mm, at wow. Seven Mile Canyon. Yeah, I didn't know that till I did some research into it. And I went, oh, boy, if we had more time. Yeah, that's always <laughs> going to be the theme. If we had more time. Right, right. But uh, there's petroglyphs and pictographs and opportunities for photos. You can picnic, take some water with you, of course. Uh, but if you're into road biking, that's another thing that would be a lovely, I think, activity to do late in the afternoon. We saw quite a few people ride al- riding along back to their cars along that uh, National Park Service Road with the lights on their bikes in the evening. And I thought, oh, isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice <laughs> to be out there on a bike right now as the sun's going down, headed toward the car, knowing you're going to dinner? So there's a tip. Think about bringing your bike or you can rent one there. You can look into bike rentals in Moab cool fabulous so where to next lynn um yes so from here we uh again we had some key points in our travels we needed to get to in the time frame that we had so our next stop was going to be capitol reef state uh, national park sorry but on the way i wanted to be sure that we had the opportunity to visit dead horse state park so actually one of the two evenings we were staying in Moab, we drove the 30 some odd miles up to Dead Horse Point State Park. And I'm so glad I looked into this and I thought I saw some images and read some things about it. And I went, wow, this is this is jaw dropping. We need to do this. I mean, we'll spend some time in Arches, but we can either do Canyonlands, which is massive. It's like, oh, boy, I got to where do you start? Uh-huh. Or on our way to our next destination, which is Capitol Reef, we're going to go, go, we might go right by Dead Horse Point State Park. And the more I looked at it, the more I thought, no, I want to go up there for a sunset opportunity. I want to go see the sunset and photograph the sunsets here. And I'm so glad we did. So this drive, this is definitely a hidden gem. You just get in your car, you head north out of Moab. It's only about a 30 mile drive, literally from Moab to Dead Horse Point right there in Dead Horse Point State Park. But it felt like it was a much longer drive because there was just so much to look at and see. Um, You start out with um, a climb through like these narrow canyon walls. You come off the highway that goes north from Moab. It's easy. Just Google Dead Horse Point State Park, and it's a very simple go from one state road to the other state road. But you start out going up to these narrow canyon walls. And so you're climbing in your car and you're like, oh, okay, so I guess we're going to get up on this plateau. Mm -hmm. And as you arrive at this desert plateau and you're heading almost due west, and it's the high desert and, boy, your horizons just open right up. You're like, whoa, look at all these colors out here. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I went, hey, look behind us. Look at arches behind us because we had climbed up to that plateau. So we got a nice elevation to be looking back at where we'd been spending the past day in arches. And in front of me, we could see the Henry Mountains and the San Rafael Reef ahead of us, which was mesmerizing because picture this, a black, newly paved road, asphalt road with bright yellow stripes running down the middle of it, running straight as an arrow into this horizon where these purple and bluish and kind of magenta-ish coming on late in the day mountains are stretching across the horizon and in in between are these canyons you can see canyon lands and you can see the desert floor 
And off on the horizon are these bands, these curtains of rain, way off in the distance, promising rain. But you know it's not going to rain on you because it never rains on you when you're in the desert. So. <laughs> and we, it's like you're just being drawn forward. You're being pulled forward with this gravitational force down this road. You're like, oh, gosh, this is so gorgeous. I can't believe this drive. It's great. So we buzzed on out there, and then you take a left turn off the road, and you, you notice the geology changing throughout your drive, which was a common reoccurrence throughout our trip, our entire trip. It's almost as if you could go for five miles, and the desert looks like this, and then suddenly, wham, these colors change from a sort of sandstone, orangey yellow, to a whitish color, to um, different rock formations with like some light chocolate or cinnamon sprinkled on the top colors, to washes to you know little signs pointing off to the side of the road and you just want to stop everywhere but you can't you've got to get to dead horse point state park but it's so mesmerizing the whole scene so we finally got to dead horse state park we had to pay an entry fee to get into the state park which was twenty dollars for the vehicle but so well worth it because once you get across this plateau now you're driving down a little bit lower into the lower desert area and then you're starting to climb back up through hills and through canyons and you're getting these views out to the horizon of mountains and other canyons and rock formations as you approach dead horse point you pull into the parking area and as you come out of your car you're like oh boy where do we start because you can't really see where's the point <laughs> i mean where are the views I, I can see the distance but where's the canyon i know there's one here but we just followed the, you know, paved trails. And our first approach, as we approached, got to the point itself, which is this jutting ship-like prow that juts out over this super deep canyon. And I saw the spectacular views I've ever experienced in the West. And I just got goosebumps. Mm. And it was like 4.30 and 80 some odd degrees and a breeze blowing. We were hot, but I just got chill bumps. I mm. I could understand when I stood out there why this scene is considered one of the most photographic scenic vistas in the world. Wow. And it has been featured in numerous movies and commercials and television programs and so forth. But how do you describe this? So it's not this narrow little place that you just kind of get out of your car, go walk over there, look down you know, all the, and see what you see, which I'm going to describe in a minute. No, it's this whole wide area. It's like this plateau that's jutting out over these canyons. And when you start walking around the rim, and uh, there's a whole trail that goes around this rim, you start to re, um, kind of encircling the parking lot, maybe, you know, three quarters of the way, a circle around the parking lot. You really realize just what a vast, vast scenic vista you are walking in. Uh, we got a sweeping panoramic view from like 6,000 feet of altitude. So picture this. There are these amazing sculpted pinnacles, you know, these tall rocks that have been wind carved and cut through millions of years by ice and, and, and uplifting. And the buttes, often in the distance, the canyonlands and the mesas of Canyonlands National Park. You can see the needles, which look like what they're described as, and rock formations that go straight up, sort of like the fingers on your hands with all these mm. different colors. In the afternoon, you can see the rust, you can see the reds, you can see the oranges and the yellows and the sandstone. And, ah, and you're looking way down and across at these things that are some distance away. And between us, look down, wow, that's 2,000 foot drop was that signature scene of the gooseneck of the Colorado River, a gooseneck, you know, it kind of comes down in a horseshoe-shaped bend, kind of. Mm -hmm. 2,000 feet up above that, you're looking down from um, Dead Horse Point down into that scene. And we were facing the sun at that point. It was tricky to photograph, but I managed to get some amazing shots of that drop with the Colorado River, that gooseneck formation in front of us, the horizons going out further than your brain can really encompass, the rain bands on the horizon, dotting the horizon to my left in front of me, way over to my right, and the wind blowing. And I stood up on that pinnacle and held my arms up and just felt like I was flying. Just, mm. I felt tiny, but I felt uplifted. It was an amazing 
scene. So we spent some time walking around there. We probably spent like 45 minutes just photographing the whole scene from different angles and all of these horizons that just seemed to go on forever. I think that's what made it really special at, at Dead Horse Point. Um, no matter where we walked along that rim, where, whether we were looking south or, or east or southwest or west, um, you could understand that you're probably looking out over 100 miles on a clear day. Um, so anyway, those curtains of rain and even some rainbows. We got some rainbows in our shots in our video roll. It's like, is this magical or what? <laughs> it was just one captivating, magical place. Definitely recommend it. Dead Horse Point State Park for sunset. Oh, I absolutely love this tip. I've, you should go to experiences you should have. Click on episodes check out the photos i mean i am looking at them right now and they are stunning and we were just in grand canyon um i don't know a few months ago and i i swear these photos look even more magical than what we saw when we went to the park uh, yeah i think uh, the secret is really everybody's like what camera do you use and i'm like well it's the magician it's not your uh, you know magic wand <laughs> yeah. I mean, i'm just using an iphone i'm just shooting with an iphone 8. Um, i also have a digital camera that i use for certain kinds of shots starfield shots and other lengthy exposures and special effects but really my my iphone is my go-to um source and I really don't gin up my images. I don't pull them into Photoshop and tweak them up and color them and change. No, I, I'm a raw shooter. I like to shoot pretty much the scene as I see it. Mm -hmm. And um, that means timing for me. It's about in, in this trip, if you're going to be driving 1600 miles or if you're just going to be driving 50 miles, why arrive somewhere at 11 o'clock in the morning when the sun is right overhead, the heat is too hot to hike, you, you're disinclined to go all the way over there just to see if there's a view. It's so much easier to get out early in the morning for shots and to get out late in the afternoon, not too late, but mm -hmm. to get out on those desert landscapes. And you can't go wrong because as long as uh, you have blue skies or even some overcast skies with flat light, the scenery itself is just majestic and magical and just point your camera compose the shot and when the light is right it's right so i don't claim any special skill set although I, I am a commercial photographer but honestly anyone could do it just get your focus and your composition right and it's the magical places themselves that just reveal themselves to you and in looking back at them in the photographs it really brings home to me the photos and the videos just what a an uber special trip this was for us we've traveled in different places around the planet and i just cannot get over the majesty and the beauty and the grandeur of our american western states mm. anyway so the dead horse mm -hmm. um people might want to know why the name and um if you look it up it says in the late 1800s some cowboys left horses on the that plateau that you kind of wander around once you get out of your car uh, -huh. uh it's a sort of natural corral which you could see how that could be pinched off back where the parking lot stops and the horses could kind of be left to graze up on this plateau and it was not uncommon i think for some unwanted horses to be left behind oh i'm sorry it's a sad tale but that's kind of where the name came from mm -hmm. because some are left and there's no water out there mm. so uh which is a reminder you do want to have plenty of water with you in that heat and um, I guess the other tip I have is that you there are also op obvious opportunities on that drive from Moab to Dead Horse State Park. If you're leaving, I don't know, 3.30 or something mm -hmm. to head out from Moab to Dead Horse State Park, there are numerous opportunities as you're driving along that desert for different, there are different stop-offs. Um, there are different places you can take shots. And... Um, Ultimately, the ultimate shots are really at Dead Horse Point and, um, gosh, movies like Disney's Lone Ranger and Mission Impossible 2 and even old Western like The Comancheros mm. uh, featured scenes shot right from that point, looking down across those canyons and down into that gorge for the Colorado River. So hmm, maybe you can picture yourself in a cowboy movie. <laughs> Take a picture. <laughs> anyway, it is an international dark sky park. So for you nighttime photographers, oh. I think there are some real opportunities there to catch those 
incredible skies, the star field, uh, the hanging road, which is what many native tribes in the West refer to the uh, Milky Way. Wonderful opportunities if you're willing to just stay there a little bit longer and wait for those stars to come out and wow you with opportunities mm-hmm. to shoot them. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, where were you staying when you visited here? Uh, we were staying in a motel in Moab. I just kind of shopped around for motel prices. I wanted to find a motel that also had laundry facilities. This is important when you're on a 10-day trip uh-huh. out right. west. And uh, yeah, we so we stayed in, I think it's the Moab Valley Inn, which is right next to a nice barbecue place. Very popular. It's right in town. We have grocery stores and laundromats and motels and different places to stay in Moab. You've got everything you could possibly want. A couple of coffee shops, you know, nice restaurants if you want to eat out. But we were up up early in the morning, so we didn't have time to really grab anything. There's McDonald's, <laughs> that mm-hmm. sort of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, get into the parks. So, yeah, lots of places you can stay in Moab. But my tip here, as always, is especially between March and October, uh, make your reservations well in advance. And by well, I mean maybe three plus months in advance okay. if you want to stay, if you want to have a good selection and places to stay, mm-hmm. particularly if you're staying in some, uh, some of the more popular places like in Monument Valley where we stayed at the View Hotel. I think I already shared that in a previous podcast, but that's an excellent example of a popular place where you need to make a reservation a good four to five months in advance. Okay. Now, for someone planning maybe this full 10-day trip, you know, they're doing Monument Valley, they're doing Arches, they're going to go see Dead Horse Point State Park. I mean, they're just going to do this huge itinerary. I, I know costs can range, you know, depending where you're staying, but about on average, how much did this trip cost you? Well, if you don't count your flight and you're just looking at your automobile, right? Automobile and stays, so you figure a hotel stay is going to range you from X to Y. Right. I mean, out at the View Hotel, those rooms could go for three hundred dollars a night. Those upper floor rooms—that's sure. not our budget. We don't normally do that. Right. But it was so convenient, and I didn't want to camp. So, I mean, you can camp. If that's another great way to do it, but just be aware that windstorms are very common, and I mean, they threaten to rip the clothes off your body. And it's not wow. funny. It's not fun having your face and your skin scoured by sand. No, uh, they are really serious. But anyway, back to costs. So you've got your, you know, your vehicle rent, rental for a week, and then you've got your passes into the parks. And mm-hmm. if you pay once, you get it. You know, I think it's three days for Dead Horse State Park, for instance, and certainly seven days for the national parks mm-hmm. for your vehicle. It's not per person. It's like thirty dollars per vehicle into Arches. $20 in the Capitol Reef. So you start adding it up. It's like, where right. are you staying? How long are you staying? Do you want to stay in a motel? That's a little less, a campground, a little less. So you can begin to cut it back. But for me, the real trick was to try to balance costs. What kind of budget do we have for gas, rental car, places to stay versus eating out, which we, you know, you have to eat out, but we just ate at, you know, quick food places or in the case of, uh, Moab, we would get food at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Wonderful grocery store there. It's awesome. And bring it back to the room and just nuke it, you know, put it in the microwave. Our, our room had a microwave and a small refrigerator so we could bring leftovers in and grab something for lunch and eat it for dinner. So yeah. we find ways like that to economize. We also got our, our park pass well in advance so that we had a national and annual park pass that allowed us to get into the national parks, some state parks, um, National monuments like Grand uh, Staircase Escalante, uh-huh. uh, Glen Canyon area, other places that we went to that I have spoken of uh, in the podcast. So you can really save a lot of money if you drop $80 or whatever that your annual pass, uh, park pass for the National Park Pass is $80. It'll pay for itself in your first three or four stops. Mm-hmm. And you can come in and out of those parks. So, um, you know, if you stay at B&Bs, you're looking at, what, 160, 140, 130, kind of depends per mm-hmm. night, right. per two. I think that's kind of the going rate. So the real trick is getting in so that you don't get stuck with only the high end or the, you know, campground and you're not ready to camp. So if you plan in it ahead of time, you can run a budget like I do. 
on a spreadsheet. So it could go with your airfare if you get if you use miles like we do. At least we didn't have to factor that in a whole lot. I think we uh-huh. dropped like $120 on airfares because of our point situation at the time. Sure. So really for us, the, the rental car was the largest single cost and staying at a place like The View for a couple of nights, ouch, that hurt. Right. <laughs> but then after that, it was motels or Airbnb. You know, um, our loop took us from the 1,600 miles, took us from Las Vegas, where we rented our car and got the heck out. Uh, to Zion, where we spent a couple of nights in an Airbnb, very reasonable, near Zion. Mm -hmm. And instead of staying too close to the national parks, I tend to stay about 20 or 30 miles outside at a nearby town. So -hmm. that's a great tip. Look at the nearby towns and look at Airbnbs and see if you can get into a place that will work for you and your budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, we then made our way from Zion after a couple of nights into Page, but we took some off the major beaten path routes there and took a little longer to drive there, but hey, you can do it in a day easy. You can do it in an afternoon. Mm-hmm. And spent the night in Page and saw what we wanted to see there. And that was another Airbnb, which are pretty reasonable. Like we could find them for anywhere from $60 to 80 to maybe 110, sort of depends. Right. Right. Whereas the hotels, the hotels, yeah, start at $200 a room. So it's worth doing your homework. Right. To save right. money on those those overnight stays. So overall, you know, I'd have to look back at my spreadsheet to total it up. So if you multiply an average of, I don't know, it, it really depends on how you travel. I always find it so hard to answer that question. Right. I know. Uh, I just like to give a possible ballpark for people who are – we're wanting to save for that big trip or take a family trip. Maybe if you're camping, maybe it's going to be around like 2K or if if you're going to be staying at least in mid-rate hotels or motels. Um, kind of like that goal to save for. Yeah, I uh, my goal for any trip of 10 days is to start at about $2,000 and go up unless we got friends or family, you know, sure. we're going to. We're going to couch surf, you know. Yeah. Uh, really, I just start out with where do we want to go? Why do we want to go? What time of year do we want to go there? And what are some of the average costs? Hmm, was it cost to fly? Was it cost to rent a car? And I just start start a spreadsheet. And then when reality hits and I realize that, oh, my gosh, no, we cannot afford to go there for 10 days or whatever, yeah. then I back it off. Or maybe we only have a week. Maybe we only have five or six days and, and or seven days and two of those are travel, one day in and one day out. It kind of depends on what do you got, you know, right. and then I'll build our savings. Then we start saving up and planning and we say, OK, uh, I have a pretty good idea. Oh, yeah, those hotels are more expensive than I thought. How about Airbnb? Oh, okay. Well, that helps the budget, Uh that sort of thing. And then I'll I'll start getting a rough budget. And then I know how much to save rather than just, gee, I got 2K. What am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I'm such a plan ahead person that, uh, which works for me as a photographer to try to get certain places to hit certain locations at certain times of the year and certain times of day, even that that's how I tend to center my, my trip planning. I like it. Yeah, I like hiking. it. Yeah. Hiking and being outdoors and photography. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a great way to experience life and to see nature around us with these stunning views that you just can't see in many places in the world. Lynn, you have done a great job of painting the picture of this trip. And I, I just love uh, hearing about your plans, how you did it, the best time to see the sunsets and those hidden gems along the way. I truly thank you for doing your homework and sharing with us on this podcast. Well, thank you. I think uh, my closing statement might be something along the lines of um, altogether. I think our drives, our hikes and our backcountry explorations off the beaten path for this whole trip from Monument Valley to Arches to Dead Horse Point and onward, Capitol Reef, Zion, and Bryce were simply magical. Um, and when I came back, I said, you know, I think, no, I know. I, I think I left a piece of my heart somewhere among those red rocks and towering mesas and endless canyons of soulful silences and those far, far horizons. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lynn. Truly. <laughs> My gosh. I love how you travel. Thank you. We have a pleasure. And thank you for allowing me to share a little of our travels with your audience. I look forward to more of your podcasts. I love listening to your guests. Oh, well, thank you. Well, there will be more adventures to come. Don't you worry. Okay. Every other week on Sunday, a new episode drops. So uh, uh, definitely stay tuned. And uh, I am sure we're going to be having you back on the show soon. So truly, thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Gail. See you soon. All right. Until our next adventure. Thank you so much for listening to Experiences You Should Have. If you really enjoy Lynn's travel style, uh, then check out some previous episodes, as mentioned, the Monument Valley episode, as well as some past episodes uh, about the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica, as well as uh, visiting Milford Sound in New Zealand and and those little hidden gem spots along the way. so please check it out. And also we are a growing podcast and one of the best things that you could do to help us grow is to tell a friend about this podcast. So please turn to your neighbor. If you're in your car alone, then just tell the car next to you. If you're on the subway, tell that stranger right across from you. I swear they're going to be so excited to hear about this podcast experiences you should have. So please tell a friend, share, follow us on Instagram experiences podcast. We are working hard to create amazing episodes for you. And also I am going to be uh, traveling here soon. You know, because I love a travel and I'm going to be headed to uh, Florida, California, Mexico, Hawaii. And so I'm going to be looking for those really cool experiences along the way. Um, And so hope that a a really good episode or two come out of that or more. We'll see. Uh, So please stay tuned, subscribe, visit the website, follow us on Instagram and tell a friend. Thank you so much for listening.